When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of Fall of the Boston Celtics. Thank you yet again for downloading the number one podcast on the web which covers the Boston Celtics, Celtics Beat. CLNS Radio truly values your patronage. Because of your loyalty to making Celtics Beat the most downloaded weekly podcast online which covers the Celtics, we would love to offer a free copy of my critically acclaimed book available at clnsradio.com slash books. That's clnsradio.com slash book. Happy reading and enjoy today's broadcast. Today is Sunday, February 14th, 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. Good show today. First off, we got a little announcement. I don't want to say a huge announcement. But we got an announcement, nonetheless, that we'll make at some point during this show. It has to do with programming here at CLNS Radio. And we got some good guests per usual, as today's guests will be Steve Smith, longtime NBA veteran and sharpshooter, now working as an analyst for NBA TV and Turner Sports. And we'll also get some quick words in with Patrick Gilroy of ESPN New Hampshire, as we use this time to gauge where the Celtics stand here on NBA All-Star Weekend. It is here with tonight's game on TNT itself. Celtics fans, did you know that Isaiah Thomas will be in that game tonight? I'm sure you did. But yes, a member of the Boston Celtics will be in action. TNT themselves will carry tonight's All-Star game with exclusive coverage beginning tonight at 7 p.m. and goes right through with the festivities, the game itself. And for me, what I got the DVR set for, the best post-game show in my eyes, the best hour or hour plus of television inside the NBA following the game. One of the few shows, I think, on television that's like, you should be watching. One of the real, authentic broadcasts. And I know those who listen to me weekly know where I come down on that. Anyways, happy All-Star Weekend, NBA fans. You know you're not getting a happy Valentine's Day from me. But can we possibly shower you with some gifts? Winners of our ticket giveaway contest. We have one coming up February 21st. We will announce the winner of our next contest again. CLNS Radio and Celtics Beat will be giving away pairs of tickets to select Celtics home games throughout the 2016 NBA season. For contest details, log on to Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. That is Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Next available game, Thursday, February 25th against the Milwaukee Bucks. Entry is simple. Follow at CLNS underscore LHR on Twitter. That is me at CLNS underscore LHR. And you're in... We will pick one lucky winner on the February 21st edition of Celtics Beat next week. But let's get rolling today on episode number 144, presented this week by Tick IQ and AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. The Boston Celtics, as they almost always seem to be, they come out of the break with a mountain rest roadie, although this time it's a little brief. 
But there is going to be a very, very long wait for that matter. The next game will be in Utah all the way this coming Friday, February 19th. That is going to be nine full days off. But Utah Friday, Denver on Sunday in the altitude, and they finish it off with Minnesota the following night. So not too tough, but then that, that is then. This is now. The Boston Celtics sit at 32-23 and 23 after getting that incredible overtime win against the Los Angeles Clippers way back yonder on Wednesday. So the thrill has worn off. I get that. Guess. That was an impressive win, huh? That was, as I was rewatching that game, they're blowing the 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, and the Clippers had it won seemingly four or five times over there late. But we talk about progress and improvement here over and over and over again on the show. That was definitely a game this team loses six weeks ago. Like how that game was unfolding late was looking to me like an absolute textbook Celtics loss that was becoming synonymous with this team when they would go on some of these runs, they'd rack up a few nice wins, and they would always give it back with some losses like that one on Tuesday against Milwaukee. And then, of course, what was looking like a classic home letdown on Wednesday against a veteran Clippers team that was playing pretty well. But now... That Cavs game back two Fridays ago, the Clippers game right before the All-Star break, I'm seeing signs. I don't want to call them trends yet, but let's call them signs. Signs that were not there last year or at the beginning of the season or six weeks ago, five weeks ago. So yay, the Boston Celtics looking at this from a concrete standpoint, 32-23 and 23, alone as a third seed in the Eastern Conference. Kind of unfathomable to think of that too. I know what the computer said at the beginning of the year, second seed, third seed. And by the way, can we get an update on the probabilities and the percentages of how the Celtics need to go 18-9 or better down the stretch to get to 50 wins? It's been, what, 12 whole minutes here where I haven't gotten an all-important update of where the Celtics stand with that almighty 50-win mark? Seemingly getting that enough when there are games taking place, let alone at the All-Star break when we sit here on this Sunday, halfway through the god-awful month that is February, the worst month on the calendar. February sucks. If I was the all-powerful leader of the universe, I would delete it, but I'm not. I'm just a host here on Celtics Beat. Now, with games not, not taking place and the only basketball and NBA basketball there is are the all-star festivities going on NBA TV and TNT. Usually when a team has a long layoff, an all-star interruption, we think of all-star games as the mid-season checkpoint. It's not the case in the NBA. There is only 27 games left in the regular season for the Celtics and for other NBA teams. It is going to be a sprint. But right now, it gives a little time to reflect. Although we do that every Sunday on this show, don't we? allows us to be a little more real with ourselves instead of riding the emotional waves after every day and after every game. But it has been four full days since the team last played a game. And it's going to be another five before they get back in action. Quite simply, now is the time to search your inner fan, providing you are a Celtics fan. But search your inner fan and feel that connection with you and the team and how you feel pretty damn good about the Celtics being nine games over 500 sitting alone at third in the conference while the organization still has some young players and an endless slew of draft choices to utilize in some capacity. And how is that translating to how fans are looking towards this trade deadline coming up here on Thursday on the 18th. How is that affecting their own little trade proposals or little wish lists, which I know fans cannot help themselves with making? We all know that even though there really isn't a lot of substantial discussion amongst teams out there outside of the exploratory phases, comma, yet. 
that still never stops fans or stops media members, particularly the media, because they know they have to fill some airtime, and there's no cheaper way to do so than discuss potential trades. And oh, by the way, wasn't it funny how two weeks ago there was all this Celtics talk about the next pick, and would you trade for this guy, or would you trade for that guy, and Gallinari, how that is going to be done eventually, ahem, ahem, and then... Adrian Wojnarowski of The Vertical appears on last week's show, which if you missed it, search for Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on iTunes or Stitcher. And feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a show. We would love if you did that. But boy, I found it really funny. And I'm sure it's just total coincidence that after the 35-minute chat that we had with Woj on last week's broadcast, out went a lot of those fires after our talk with Woj and our good friends over at Celtics Blog ran a headline discussing that chat. I do not know. I just found that very funny. But we're now creeping closer to the deadline. And Chris Mannix, also the vertical, has been linking Al Horford's name with the Celtics. I know there was another report that came out on Friday, kind of throwing a little cold water on that. Same thing with Dwight Howard, who obviously woge himself this week that the Houston Rockets and Dwight Howard are working together to possibly look for potential trade partners. Naturally, naturally, with Boston's void in the middle and their ability to give reasonable returns to teams. The Celtics, their name comes up even if they are on ideas alone. And as I said, there was a Boston Globe report back on Friday throwing some cold water on both of those names. But we know that while the trade talk as of this Sunday probably is not as substantial as it is and very well may never be past these exploratory stages, we know that's not just Celtics fans, but NBA fans, they they love it anyways. They're going to eat it up even if it is... Like I said, nowhere past anything more than courtesy calls. They're going to soak this up. And while I'm not a huge fan of it, I, I can't wait till 3.15 p.m. here on the East Coast this Thursday. I really do. Actually, if we, we're playing that game, I can't wait till the spring. But what I do find interesting about all this, and the trade deadline and all the discussion or all the proposals that literally are pulled out of thin air is how I feel. You could look at it real closely. It indirectly lets you take a deeper look into how fans feel about this team, how fans feel about this franchise. And what am I using to take my pulse on Celtics Nation? Millions of fans. Well, social media, of course. As I, I engage in the discourse myself, be it on Twitter or some of my favorite Facebook groups, be it with the Celtics' incredible international following as evidenced by Nicola's Celtics Beat Italia page or Nick's. Bleed Green Group, great, great places for civilized and compelling conversations regarding the team online. But around this time of year, trade talk, even if it is yet to be substantial, will drive the discussion. And it's giving someone like me a chance to truly look at how fans of this team, because I actually find that more interesting than the hypotheticals, which I hate to say it, on this Sunday, February 14th, that's all there really is out there right now. We've yet to really see these discussions take on something to the point where you see basketball's most respected insiders actually start attaching their names to some actual stories of discussion really getting that far down the line. But happy and how happy will I be when that clock strikes 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday, February 18th? Well... You'll have to tune in to find out. Remember that little announcement I alluded to at the beginning of the show? Well, here goes it. Me, John Duke, and Justin Poole, and that's right, the Celtic Stuff Live team, 
will go live on clnsradio.com. We will take your calls at 347-215-7771. Starting at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time this Thursday, we will go as long as we have to discuss whatever we need to discuss on the occurrences of that day. Some, annou- some announcement, right? It's huh? me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! Yeah, exa- exactly. I, I kind of, does kind of feel like that. I mean, kind of like, sort of looking for a little bit more there. But if you do care, yes, me and the Celtic Stuff Live team, Duke and Poolin, this Thursday, taking your calls live on CLNSRadio.com. There is a page up there right now on CLNSRadio.com with all the details, so don't have to go any further into it than I just did. But now at this moment, would I like the Celtics to acquire Al Horford, uh, Dwight Howard, even though I guess they're not interested in him, so the story goes. I should not even mention Greg Monroe's name, right? Of course. But yes, even let's say hypothetically, and I'm just using this name, let's say Dwight Howard because I consider him the sort of the worst-case scenario kind of guy. But despite all the questions that surround his character and the fact that he's getting older, being 30 for a player out of high school is almost ancient and his declining skills, I think any of those guys or a move like that where this team addresses a need such as a talented and physically gifted big body down low because, well... Here is your Captain Obvious point of the day. It is definitely worth it for the Celtics to try and make this current team better, providing it doesn't sacrifice any long-term health to the franchise. In fact, we do know that making the team better right now and in the right now can very well enhance the long-term health of the franchise. But you would assume that any of these players would not cost the Nets pick, nor would it cripple the team's salary books. And as I began thinking that over, and I saw Zwerbs in our Facebook group bring up that very point as well, I believe, back on Thursday, it's that, and we know this, of course, but the Celtics cannot make all of these draft choices, not just in the coming years, but this year. They have something, they have an obscene, um, like, eight scheduled picks they need to make, three in the first round, and what to think about that is not only can they not make all of these picks, but the closer you get to June, the closer you get to the draft, and you are still in possession of all of these draft picks, which Wick Grosbeck himself, the owner of the team, has gone on record saying we cannot make all of these picks. The closer you get to the draft, they actually take on a bit less value because teams now know you have to deal them. So they'll easily hold that against the Celtics and they'll have an upper hand if the Celtics, if the Celtics, when the Celtics need to make moves on draft night, pending they take eight picks out of that draft. That is certainly something to watch out for. And that could certainly be the driving point, coupled with the fact that you have a team really gelling heading into the All-Star break in a conference they can certainly make noise in. Sure, they're definitely not going to win a championship, not with Golden State and San Antonio serving as roadblocks and almost assuredly will not win the East either with Cleveland here and LeBron James in this conference. But a situation here with how the team is playing and how the East, while better, is still not competitive enough to where the Celtics team could make a run. I think that creates a situation to where it'd be very beneficial to see the Celtics put together a package that A, improves the team first and foremost, and B, and C, trims some fat on the roster, which is a goal of Danny Ainge, as well as move some extra assets the team has. Speaking of our Facebook group, which Conti even 
when imagining a scenario of Howard, whom I think of all the names you hear, certainly the most unrealistic and certainly comes with the most risk anyways. But even if you get a worst case scenario with Dwight Howard, he stinks it up and he's a cancer, whatever you want to throw at it. I can't imagine a more worst case scenario than that if and when the Celtics got a player like him and then if and when he actually was as bad as he could possibly be. Can't imagine having a more worst-case scenario than that. If that does happen and this team falls flat on its face upon acquiring him or a player like him, while it's certainly a disappointment and in the words of Bill Belichick, not what we're looking for, it certainly is not going to cripple the organization in one manner or another because the Celtics, while you want them to certainly get value for some of their players and their draft selections, that's why Danny Ainge took the time and effort to get a, go about acquiring them in the first place, but Boston, unless they're starting to sell these Nets picks for B or B-minus guys with bad contracts, they're not going to lose out on all too much, even if a deal like acquiring a Howard or one of these other guys or whomever one would think would upgrade the talent level on this team still is not going to be all that detrimental, even if you think of the absolute possible worst-case scenario of them being here and them playing out as badly as they possibly could play here. So why don't we actually go ahead and kind of continue this conversation with Patrick Gilroy, host of the Celtics pregame show on ESPN New Hampshire. Our interview with Patrick is brought to you by the Tick IQ mobile app, TIQ. IQ already has the cheapest tickets for all Boston sports. And now with their mobile app, you can save up to 10% more on tickets to any live event. You can set price alerts to be notified when tickets within your price range become available, as well as see all the top deals for games at the Garden, Gillette, and on the road. They aggregate all ticket sellers on one platform and have the most competitive prices out there. Head to the Apple App Store to download the Tick IQ app and start saving today. That is T-I-Q-I-Q. And use the promo code BOSTON for 10% off your first purchase. Okay. Mr. Gilroy. Lo and behold, we've been talking trades, possible trades. Jeez, the trade deadline. That must be a few days away, huh? Personally, I can't wait. I can't wait till it comes and goes, that is. I know it's very exciting for some, but trade ideas created out of thin air is very Nick's fan. It is very Nick fan to do, but I'm biting. I'm biting because, uh, first off, it's kind of telling the tale in a way of the greater perception of this team. So I'm going to ask you, as someone who converses with the Celtics fans quite frequently with your Celtics pregame show on ESPN New Hampshire, First off, how do you feel about this deadline? And from your conversations with the fans themselves on ESPN New Hampshire, how do you think the fans feel? You know, i got to tell you, Larry, that, that I think that the fan base has sort of changed their mind as the season has gone along here. Uh, earlier in the season, uh, exhibition season, November, December, when the Celtics were a middling 500 team, Danny Ainge still had all the same assets that he's got now three months later. Uh, I think fans were clamoring at that point for him to cash in some of those chips, use some of those assets to improve the team. After all, that is part of the, the, the big part of the plan here. That's what's been sold to the fans since the departure of Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. That being said, fans are starting to fall in love with this team, the way that they've played here, winners of 10 of their last 12, and we all know the style in which they play. That style is contagious, and the fan base is really a rabid Boston-based fan base. The blue-collar Boston fans are falling in love 
with this gritty, hardworking team. So it's sort of your ultimate conundrum. What do you do? Uh, do you continue to grow with the pieces that you have, knowing that ultimately this team has got a ceiling, and that ceiling is not an NBA championship, but, hell, the ride could be a lot of fun? Or do you start to cash in these chips, and, and do you try to – jumpstart the the process here of getting to a championship level uh, a little bit faster than what Danny Ainge has done already. It's going to be a fascinating four or five days here leading up until this trade deadline. But it's also as well, too, I think also when you mentioned how the fans don't know how to feel, I think also has to do a lot to do with the fact when you were talking about that big player that could possibly acquire, I think fans have finally accepted the the fact that that player isn't on the market now and may not be on the market for the foreseeable future. So that's why I don't think you see fans so far clamoring for trades like for a superstar player because they know that that said player isn't available. But the point that I made earlier in the show is that they have not just these Nets picks, but they have so many draft choices. They have too many draft choices. You heard Rick Rosbeck said on a recent radio interview that they can't make all the coming draft choices. They have, I believe, eight draft picks in this coming draft. So they're going to have to trade the draft choices. If they are able to do so in these coming four days or so, that's one thing. What, what I do worry about is taking eight draft choices into the night of the draft. And that puts the Celtics in a little bit of posi- in a weaker position because teams would then know that they would have to trade some of these draft choices, thus maybe putting a f- greater importance on making a move now. Yeah, and per the new CBA, Larry, as you know, you've got if you're a first-round draft pick, you're essentially guaranteed a roster spot. So, so of those eight picks that they have, they've got three or four in the first round. You've got uh, your salaries already slotted for those guys. You you have to guarantee their contracts. So with the second rounders, you've got a little bit of flexibility there. They don't necessarily have to be on the roster, whether it be in Boston or in Maine. But with the first rounders, you're contractually obligated to doing something with these guys within the Celtics organization. Uh, With that being said, there's no way. When you look at the roster this year, you're still trying to find time and find minutes for James Young, who's in his second year. Terry Rozier hasn't seen game action in quite some time here. R.J. Hunter, who looked pretty good in limited minutes, there's no time for him right now. I can't imagine this team taking the next step in their progression next year while trying to find minutes for additional young guys. It's not going to work. So you're right, Larry. Danny Ainge has got sort of this this self-imposed deadline that he's got to do something of, of significance with these drafts picks at this trade deadline because you're right going into the summer going into going into the draft if you're starting draft night with eight potential picks four in the first round three in the first round depending on how things shake out you've got yourself at a serious disadvantage 29 other gms know that danny's going to make a move and they're going to take advantage of the celtics being in a difficult and a tricky situation so while danny Ainge may have the upper hand right now he won't have that upper hand four months from now yeah, that's what I was saying a lot earlier in the show, and I believe some of our posters in the Facebook group did a great job pointing that out. And do you? I should ask you, really, I hate doing this. Like I said, it's very Nick fan, but in the sake of the argument here, do you have any preference on a player the Celtics would acquire in these coming few days? Here's the problem, Larry. You know, you've got the fans that call my show and they're dreamers, right? And you've got the fans that call your show and they're dreamers. These people, I don't know how people call you know, this they... show. <laughs> I don't want any dreaming on this show. <laughs> they, want, they want this guy. They want, they want superstars. The problem is 
the Celtics fan base got spoiled. Uh, Danny Ainge pulled off the perfect trade for, for acquiring Kevin Garnett. His age was perfect. His pedigree was perfect. His attitude was perfect. They had nearly the perfect season. They won a championship. You're never going to find that again. That's, that's lightning striking twice, and it's not going to happen. Any one of these guys that are difference makers that are potentially available right now for the Celtics, they're available for a reason, uh, whether it's Dwight Howard, who's well past his prime with a bad attitude, bad ankles, bad knees, a bad back. Well, that's why he's available. Um, you know, you've got your other guys, your Brooke Lopez, who's never really panned out to the star level that people thought that he could be. You've got guys with issues on the trade market. I, I would expect Danny Ainge to make a an A-minus level move, a B-level move, something akin to what he did last year acquiring Isaiah Thomas. He essentially flipped a trade exception for an all-star. You probably won't flip a trade exception for an all-star this year, but Isaiah wasn't the giant difference maker that a Kevin Durant would be. He's your perfect player. He's your perfect player in a contract season who hasn't guaranteed that he's going to sign with OKC. So if you're dreaming big, and you're a Celtics fan, that's the guy that Danny Ainge should throw every asset at at OKC and bring him here because I would risk it. If I were Danny Ainge, I would throw all of the assets at OKC, get Kevin Durant in here for 27 games, know that you can pay him more than anybody else per the CBA, and hope that he falls in love with the city and falls in love with winning in Boston. It's a giant gamble, but I think to get – that next-level superstar, the guy that can propel your team for the next decade and do it in the way that Kevin Garnett was able to do it. I think Kevin Durant is that guy. It's a, it's a pipe dream, and it's one that's probably not going to happen. But short of Durant, everybody else comes with a certain amount of baggage, and I'm not sure that Danny or the Celtics are willing to take on all that baggage that goes along with acquiring one of these imperfect players at the trade deadline. Boy, you're really subdued, naming Kevin Durant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kevin Durant's somebody that I thought there would be more movement around Kevin Durant come trade deadline. I thought there would be more rumors, more stories. Um, the fact it's is, like Cleveland you know, in 2010, though. I mean, remember Cleveland in 2010? There was the same. There was in the back of everyone's mind that hey, this guy could live leave via free agency, but the Cavs were just too good. Same thing with Oklahoma City. I mean, they're not right there but they are the next level below, and they, you'd like to think they have, I would say, like a 10% chance of winning a championship. So, And, if, of course, if you do win a championship, then you're probably going to have Kevin Durant for the rest of your life. So that's why – there's, the, there's another factor there, Larry, I hate, to, I hate to, to jump in, but there is rumors. There are rumors following his, his sidekick around in Westbrook, right? You've heard New York. You've heard this. You've heard that. You've heard that he wants out of OKC. There you go. You had a well, nice little plug. You've done this before, Larry. Um, you know, you've got you've got this guy whose impending free agency is just a year later, and these two are close enough where I'm sure they talk. And Kevin Durant knows what Russell Westbrook has told him, right? So if Russell's ultimate game plan is not to uh, finish out his career in OKC and go elsewhere, then who knows what's going to happen with Durant? But again, you brought up the Miami situation. It wound up becoming a trade to, to make the money work, but we know what happened with LeBron. He left. He, he left Cleveland for Miami. Uh, these things do happen. The Celtics do have the money to pay him. He is the perfect player. He's the perfect, in my opinion, East Coast player. Uh, the fan base would fall in love with him, and he's somebody that could propel the franchise. Are, am I reaching for the stars here? Of I course so. I am. Because, 
but when you look at everybody else, is there somebody else out there that you think could come in and instantly make this nope. team a true title contender? No one. No one is. No one on the trade market. Like no. even even possibly not even on the trade market, but guys that you could consider on the trade market. Like as you heard Woj on last week's show talking about Blake Griffin in the summer. I'm not. I don't want to say I'm not sure Blake Griffin is that guy, but he's not a Garnett where you can say you get this guy, you're a championship contender. Woj said on last week's show, and he said on his Woj report on the vertical, one of the reasons why the Clippers are considering moving him is because they don't feel they can be a championship contender with him being the centerpiece of the team, so they're going to try a different route. So they're really, you're right in that aspect about Durant, about the, in the sense that there's just no other guy whatsoever anywhere near the horizon in which Boston could potentially trade for that could really turn this franchise around. Thus, that is why I've come to the conclusion that you hear so many of the executives of the Celtics in the media start talking about the value of draft choices and how it's about building through the draft because I think they're gearing up for that possibility. Not just possibility. I just – I think that's – I mean, they certainly believe that they – and believe and they're certainly going to be willing to trade for that guy if he is available, but I just don't see that ever happening. And I think the organization really is gearing themselves up and gearing the fans up for belief, for a slower – a more organic development towards being a championship team. All right, so let's take that conversation one step further, uh, and let's bring it back to a guy like Dwight Howard or even like a Ryan Anderson or yeah, a Gallinari yeah, type, like of, getting, type I, of guy. I know that's exactly what we were sort of getting at or what I was talking about earlier in that if you can make a trade like that, especially where you'd use some of these extra draft choices like this Dallas pick, these Minnesota second-rounders, the Celtics' own yep, pick, your own you pick. can get a guy like that. Because if for no other reason, as me and you said earlier in this interview, you have to move those picks sooner or later eventually anyways because you can't make those picks. That's right. And then what you do is you go into the playoffs. You're already probably going to be a top five seed, maybe even a top four seed come playoff time. I'm not sure if they'll hang on to the three seed. Uh, you know, a, a hot or cold week in the Eastern Conference can be the difference between three and seven. But let's say they, they go into the playoffs somewhere between three and five, and you've added a piece to your roster. Well, now you're fighting to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And while that isn't the ultimate goal, I think that if you look at things with a certain amount of perspective, Larry, you can sort of take a step back and appreciate the fact that two years ago, this team was blown up. They lost their stars. They lost their coach and they had no fear. So why not enjoy being a final four team and then having the rare opportunity of being a final four team and getting a top three draft pick. And I think that's what makes this situation so unique. And I think that's why fans are dreaming a little bit because quite frankly, you don't see this. It's always one or the other. The Celtics, have got the total package here, and it's sort of something that if you take a step back to appreciate what's happening here, I've never seen it. I, I, very rarely do you see the perfect storm come together where you can have a very competitive team, a team that is a LeBron James injury away from having an opportunity to go to the finals. Um, and that's a very real possibility for this team this year. An Eastern Conference Finals bid is a very real possibility, and that is not a bad ceiling considering how short the rebuild has been. Yeah, it also happened in 1986 when the Celtics were having the, one of the greatest single seasons seasons in the history of the NBA, and then we ended up getting the number two pick in the draft. Guess we don't have to get any. Yeah, I don't think we have to discuss that anymore. But the Eastern Conference, <laughs> I think, is uh, very interesting. We're always talking about possibly making an Eastern Conference Finals run, but there are eight or nine teams in the Eastern Conference that are considering possibly making the Eastern Conference Finals run. The Celtics are sitting here in this three seed. 
But, I mean, you cannot go all the way down to, like, the 10 to the 11th seed. Look at a team like Orlando, whatever their record is. I think it's, like, 25 and 29. I don't know if that is off the top of my head. I'm not even sure the Celtics – I don't want to say I'm not sure. I'd only put them beating the Orlando Magic in a playoff series at, like, 65%. And that's, like, the 11th best or 12th best team in the conference. So when you talk so much about making a conference finals run – I think that so much of that has to do with how the East is, and yes, while it is a little bit improved, it's still a little bit of a mess. A little bit, of a, it's still a mess. <laughs> well, it's improved, but but there's also a tremendous amount of parity in the Eastern Conference, and a lot of these teams are, are essentially mirror images of one another on the court. Now, off the court, it's a different story. Um, I heard a debate that really intrigued me the other day, Larry, where where uh, an opposing GM said that the Knicks have a brighter future than the Celtics. And you say to yourself, well, how's that possible? But the fact is, they've got a seven foot three guy in Porzingis that's 19 years old that is a potential ultra superstar in this league. So you can have all the draft picks you want. You can have all, all the cap flexibility that you want and all these young assets that the Celtics have. But at the end of the day, it is a star-driven league. And a team like the New York Knicks have got a legitimate potential building block where the argument can be made that the Celtics are still looking for that guy. Patrick Gilroy, ESPN New Hampshire. Can never trust those New York guys. They're always sort of pumping up situations of why New York is always better than and superior to everything else. <laughs> That's a lesson learned right there, Larry. I appreciate that. Again, Patrick Gilroy, host of the Celtics pregame show on ESPN New Hampshire. A throwback name to many of us here in the Boston area, particularly Patrick is a way back guy with me, very synonymous with that 2002 Celtics team. People my age, I'm 29 years old. Our generation sort of holds that 02 Celtics team the same way baby boomers look at the 1967 Boston Red Sox a little too fondly. But anybody who remembers those days, and like 2002, you had two teams out west that were going to win the championship that year. It was a two-team race for the NBA championship that season. It was Sacramento and L.A., and if anybody remembers that year, they played a great and controversial series, to say the least, in the 2002 Western Conference Finals. But those two teams were the only two teams who had a shot at winning the championship. And just like this year, it's either going to be Golden State or San Antonio. That I can confidently say. But now here you are in the East with that being a little messy, which is the word that I use with Patrick, and still not very, I mean, I don't want to say not very competitive, but not to the point where you can identify a slew of teams that are championship contenders. And I guess if you're looking at it from just your Celtics point of view and you're wearing your green goggles, if you want to use that stupid phrase like some knuckle beans in the media here in Boston generally do, but... That's a good thing here with a young team like the Celtics because they're here. It kind of allows them to compete with training wheels on in the NBA playoffs, quote-unquote. But, hey, yeah, as Patrick said, maybe they can make a run. And uh, obviously, maybe they can't. Maybe they can, they can very well lose in the first round of the playoffs. They can lose to any team. And as I said with Patrick, not only could this team lose to anybody in the playoffs, I mentioned, like, Orlando because, I mean, I don't even know what their record is. I know there are multiple games under 500, but I know they're sitting, like, 11th in the conference or something. But let's say there was a hypothetical seven-game playoff series that started tomorrow. How confident would you be in the Celtics beating a team like that? Or any team at the bottom of the playoff picture or out of the playoff picture like the Magic? I, I think it's almost like 60% at best, 65% with a lot of these teams, It's which is generally not the case with top seeds in the NBA. So I know that may not be right or ideal, and the Celtics... 
making a move here in the coming days to solidify themselves the same way that 2002 team infamously traded Joe Johnson for Rodney Rogers and Tony Delk to shore up their bench. They never would have beaten Philadelphia in that first round, by the way. If people forget, if they don't have Rodney Rogers back in 02, they do not beat Philly. But then you got this Celtics team. If they get a guy in the coming days here, that is certainly going to raise expectations for the team this year. Yes, right now, these Celtics are still playing with house money with the fans. But it would be very interesting, too, if this team makes a move to get someone in here to help them out. What is that going to do for fan expectations? You saw what fan expectations did with last year with the 40-win season coming into this year. They were a little slow out of the gates, and that frustrated a lot of people, myself included. What if this team went out and got a guy that you would think would help this team, i.e. Hal Horford, with then winning a playoff series? Would anything less than that become disappointing? I would love to see that kind of pressure on a young team. You can talk about that all you want, about how you would be disappointed if the team won 45 games, 50 games, but flamed out in the first round. But when you talk about being, quote-unquote, ahead of schedule in the rebuild, and now that phrase that I used last year on this show, that phrase has been reiterated so many times by the lemmings in the media, that stupid phrase like that. But to me, being ahead of schedule... That is more from an abstract standpoint because you don't identify rebuilding in the NBA saying, okay, we're going to win 30 games this year, we're going to win 40 games that year, we're going to win 50 games this year, then next year 60 and we're going to win champion, blah, blah, blah. It's more abstract here. So when you're two and a half years in to where two and a half years ago you stripped this thing bare and now here we are, we very well could have an opportunity where players are going to have to play under that kind of pressure from fans – I think that'd be great. Yes, it could lead to disappointment, but I certainly would be willing to deal with that. I I certainly would be willing to deal with that. But I'm I'm looking at the East here, and yes, the Celtics are an interesting spot, both abstract and from the concrete. Here in this conference, as they sit here, nine games over 500 and as the third seed, but as Patrick said, one losing streak away from being the seventh seed. Here in this conference, and yes, while it is an improved conference, I think a lot of that is just fluff to make everybody feel better about the conference itself, which has been very poor on and off for about 20 years now. Since Jordan, there was only, I would say, only in around 08, 09, 10, 11, really when it was the Celtics and whatever team LeBron was on. Detroit also had a little run there as well. But there had never been more than two teams vying for a championship in the Eastern Conference over the last 20 years. So, and there's been a lot of times, too, where the bottom of the conference has been putrid. You see teams 10 games under 500 making the playoffs. It's happened a lot in the East over the last 20 years. But that's not going to happen this year. It's probably going to be all winning teams getting into the postseason. Yay, I guess. I mean, it doesn't really do much, though, in the grand scheme of things because, like I said, I they're there's at best one championship contender, and Cleveland right now looks like a complete paper tiger. So it could be zero championship contenders, especially if you reference back to that game that aired on TNT back on Martin Luther King Day when Golden State went to Cleveland and just rolled them up. But here we are in the Eastern Conference, and I still feel that none of these teams can compete for a championship. And not only that, you heard me with Patrick, this Celtics team... Yes, you throw the phrase Eastern Conference Finals around, but it's Eastern Conference Finals at best. It it ends with Cleveland. So I actually want to kind of continue that conversation about the East, where it is, 
talk a little Cleveland. I actually want to kind of continue that conversation with our next guest and go around the NBA a bit here during the All-Star break. So let's bring him in, Steve Smith, longtime NBA veteran and former NBA All-Star himself, NBA champion, 2003 with the Spurs, now serving as an analyst on NBA TV. Our interview with Steve is brought to you by American FarmersNetwork.com. A consumer should know where their food comes from and the standards that should be adhered to. And American Farmers Network meats are produced by the network of small families farmers who are committed to the most natural and compassionate approach to ranching. Their production standards go above and beyond even USDA regulations, and all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass-fed from poultry to pork and, of course, beef, AFNs. Family ranchers are committed to providing you and your family with the healthiest, most nutritious meat so you can live the healthy lifestyle in which you have a right to. So what are you waiting for? Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com right now and eat and live healthy today. Steve, I was just talking about that back there with the Eastern Conference, Boston's position in it. And from a Celtic standpoint, it's good, especially with the young team here. I mentioned the phrase training wheels on where they can kind of compete in a so-called competitive conference, but no one in the East is really all that great. It's just looking at it from a black and white standpoint as an outside observer like yourself. Yes, it's better this year because in years prior it has been miserable. It's better, but has it really closed the gap enough to a point where the outcome of these games actually have true impacts on the NBA landscape itself? Well, I think it is. Uh... My opinion is um, some of the bottom seller teams that we counted out in January, they at least have a chance to make the playoffs. And I think a lot of the Eastern Conference teams have had much better records head-to-head with the Western Conference team. Um, Still dominant, the Western Conference teams, but it's good to see that you have some conversation of saying, well, there's five or six teams that can beat the Cleveland Cavaliers versus where we thought it was maybe two or three last year. So I think they are much improved. But it's still, I think it's still a little bit one-sided right now. If you look at it, if I was a betting man, I, I would have to have. There's obviously more teams, four or five, that I would, you know, pick along with the Cavs. Right as of right now, that had a chance to win a championship versus the Eastern Conference. You you really think that? You really think like a team like? I mean, I I know Toronto's there, but you really think when you say four or five, that's that's going into like Chicago territory. No, I said Atlanta. four or five um, from the Western Conference. Oh, oh like a okay. one team on the Eastern Conference that I could really say as of today that I think can win a championship. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying four or five teams in the Eastern <laughs> Conference could beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I was like, if you're a betting man, I was like, listen, I'll play bookie on your end if you want to yeah, play. Yeah, you, you, you would definitely take all my money. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'd give you favorable odds, as a matter of fact, but odds nonetheless. You know, the Cavs <laughs> did fire David Blatt a few weeks back because I actually, one of the reasons I thought, it's, it's because they could. It's like they still know they can kind of cruise into the finals, and this was done a few days after you guys aired a, aired a, aired a game on TNT on Martin Luther King Day, where Golden State just went in there and roughed them up pretty good, to say the very least. I mean, is that really why the Cleveland did so? Is basically because they know that they can get to the finals with LeBron if he were playing with four other guys named Fred, and it was just about beating Golden State and San Antonio on the likelihood of who will be there? No, I don't think so. I, I think, um, um, and it's just as my opinion, I'm not, you know, there's so many things you hear coming out of Cleveland, but I think the most important was. Um, whether it's players' fault, whether it's coaches' fault, whether it's management, um, players wasn't responding to David Blatt. Even though they had a great record, it, it, they felt like um, 
this was going downhill versus staying status quo and versus going uphill. Um, is that David Black's fault? Um, but the coach took the fall on this one. And I think next to go is probably players. And now this is jump started to a guy like Tyron Lou. And I think because if you look at his situation, um, uh, interview for the job, he came in second for the job and he ends up being an assistant coach. So I think it was a comfort level from their management standpoint to go with Tyron Lou and see if he can jumpstart this team uh, to win in a championship. And I think if they don't win a championship, then, you know, for us, all of us in the media, then we start saying who has to go, who has to get traded, and the new direction of the Cleveland the media, The media never does things like that. <laughs> the, the media never tries to stir the fire like that and start peddling off trade rumors and, and whatnot. <laughs> Before we get to tonight's All-Star game on TNT, it has been the story of the NBA thus far, so it has to be touched upon. Spurs, they're actually having the best regular season thus far in their franchise history. Then there's this team up in the Bay Area. I forget the name. I think they named an Imagine Dragons song after them. <laughs> they're on pace for 70 wins or so. Is there anything in your eyes that could derail that Western Conference Finals, of course, barring an injury to any of their key players? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, OKC has the talent. I think the Los Angeles Clippers have the talent. Um, once upon a time, uh, you would say the Houston Rockets because they got to the Western Conference and, you know, you feel they would have got better and more cohesiveness between Harden and Howard. But uh, I think right now I, w- I would say OKC and the Clippers are the teams, four teams, you know, as of right now heading to this all-star game that have a chance to be in that mix. Well, since you're – I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you're a betting man. You mentioned earlier – do you want to throw some percentages odds of OKC and or the Clippers beating any of those two teams in a Western Conference semifinals matchup? Well, I think I look at it from my standpoint. I think OKC matches up pretty well against the San Antonio Spurs. And over the years, you know, the Spurs have had their problems with OKC. So With James you, Harden. And, you, and with James Harden, but you still have two guys that can flat out take over games. So I think Russell Westbrook at that point guard position – is a nightmare for the Spurs. And I think um, you look at the loss, uh, the, the, the Clippers, the way they're playing small ball, will have a slight chance. But like you said, if I'm a betting man, I still go Spurs and Warriors. But th- those two teams, they have some talent to be able to, to challenge with those two, the other two teams you're talking about, the Spurs and Warriors. I love to be working at the network that has exclusive coverage of that Western Conference Finals this spring. Yeah, that, that sounds like us, Turner. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> you know, anyway, speaking of said network, Turner – the All-Star Game, it's common, say, for white horsers to say All-Star Games in all sports are exhibitions that are for the fans, and that's sort of code for gimmicky stunts that are meant to amuse less intellectual portions of society. But basketball as a sport, as a whole, I mean, just the whole sport, at all levels and all different forms of how it's played, has produced fascinating forms and results. And throughout the years, basketball fans have always been able to appreciate this event. I know NBA TV is airing a lot of the classic games this week. There have been some great games, 1987 out in Seattle, probably the most loaded both those rosters were at the time. Great moments. I mean, Jordan's game winner down Atlanta in 03, blah, 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 blah. As a fan, Steve, do you have any personal memory that you are biased towards? I mean, I guess for you making the team, but uh, feel free to name others. You know, I think, uh, like you said, um, that 03 with Jordan, the 87 game, I was a senior in high school. Um, the Magic Johnson All-Star game, um, what he played down in Orlando, I think that was 92. Yep. Um, 
just for him to get a chance. The way he played, uh, the shot he knocked down, and uh, all the circumstances was phenomenal. But I, I think all of them for me. But I think those are the ones that kind of stick out. Um, I love the All-Star game. I'm forgetting the year. If you could help me when there was um, Allen Iverson in the Eastern Conference, the Kimbe Mutombo, the game got serious. Oh one one when Stephen Murray had a big yes. – I remember that. Yep, Oh one one against the and, West. And obviously – we, you know, it's all star game, so we don't you don't get a hard fought playoff type atmosphere from that was the jump an intense ball. game. But I thought that one was close to having a intensity, a, somewhat of a playoff game down a stretch in the last seven or eight minutes where it was pretty good. So a lot of them stick out. Um, uh, and and then some of them that you just root for some stars who come out and had extremely good games. But I, I love the way, like you said, the the game of basketball. They give you some entertainment, but it's still enough of competitiveness that you, the fans can watch and really enjoy guys going at each other. That was a good call in a one game because I remember the backdrop in that game we were just talking about earlier in the interview about the Eastern Conference uh, improving. Back in 01, it was really top-heavy in the Western Conference. So mm-hmm. East was really, really bad. And that was why I thought that game got so uh, intense is because guys like Iverson, Stephon Marbury really took that personally that you know the they Eastern did. Conference stinks. And if this is going to be a game, the West is going to roll over them. So there was a pride factor in that game. And I remember the just the outburst from those teams – were you on the? Were you there? Was that the year you made the team, or but no? Just, I made it in '98, and I and oh, that was Max, a, that was a good year. year. That was Jordan's year. last year, real last Kobe, year. Kobe waved off Carl Malone and uh, Michael and Kobe, so that one intensity wasn't as as there as I would think that old one game. But you know, and obviously I played in it, but that the, the Jordan Kobe it was somewhat of a matchup. You know, guys wanted to see those two kind of go at it. It was in New York. It was in New York, so it was good. So yeah. all of them has had some special moments, but uh, those are the kind of ones that stick out for me offhand. Yeah, one of the things, too, in my eyes, Smitty, is that is really enjoyable, not just about the game, but the weekend itself, is how, and maybe I'm wrong here, Steve, but just to let you know, I really am, but the NBA All-Star Weekend as a cultural event, it has become far more than one night, shoot some threes, do some dunking, then the next night all the good players will play a little fun game. Steve, I'm really interested this on this end. As someone who's covering the event for NBA TV and Turner Sports, and more importantly, as a former All-Star yourself, any chance you can elaborate on that with firsthand experience about the NBA All-Star game throughout history has always been such a unique, largely because of the game of basketball? I think it's unique, like you said, because it's more than just entertainment. I think um, that some of the community work goes unnoticed, I think, from an entertainment standpoint, but from a grassroots they do a phenomenal job um i think for us um the guys are pure pure basketball fans you get a chance to watch the d league and and that game guys play extremely hard then you have the rising stars i know they changed the format a lot now it's um you know international versus united states of america players but that game you get a chance to see the next wave of players so i think you get a chance to see so much and then you have the all-star game um, the dunk contest, obviously, we, we will want more superstars, but it's not bad. The three-point contest is phenomenal. Skills is pretty good. I remember we had the two ball and the old man. I played in a couple of those, but I think it's a lot where you get a chance to see some different generations. And then we always have a player, I think most nine times out of ten, like a player like Kobe Bryant. This is his last All-Star game. So you celebrate those guys who's given so much to the game. So it wraps up a lot, and then I think more than other sports, so many of our former players and our former superstars who carried the game for generations, they come back. And um, for me to see Oscar Robinson, Dr. J, um, 
and the greats, you know, name all of the Kareems who all come back. It's phenomenal to see all these generations come together and for, for such a long time. Most of them are working at Turner. Could field an all-time NBA team just <laughs> on you guys alone. I we think need, we need the, a Turner versus ESPN game. That's what we need. That would be a route. Just, you know, I mean, come on, Shaq, Barkley, you from the outside. I mean, this is that's like a good team. And I, I'd actually even be willing to pay for a dunk contest of guys like right now. Like, I know Bones can still dunk, I believe. He told me specifically, all right, he wants to dunk when he's 50. Yes. I mean, a lot of, I think a lot of guys here, uh, we, we still can dunk. It won't be pretty, but we can still dunk. You know, it's amazing, too, what averaging 20 points in NBA season, being an all-star, winning a title can do for the credibility of one man's opinion. Mr. Smith, <laughs> one of the most thought-provoking questions anyone is going to ask you because I can't get you out of here on the show without doing so. The masses demand to know what are your thoughts on the Boston Celtics? Uh, you know what? I've been saying it, and I've been saying it on TV. What Danny Ainge, they have done, you know, you, you look at them and you say they are rebuilding uh, but to be able to rebuild, still make the playoffs, still have 75,000 first-round draft picks and some guys under the cap because you're not really playing a lot of people, I think him, Brad Stevens, and the coach up there has done a phenomenal job. I mean, Danny can make two or three trades. Obviously, he wants to be the right ones to, 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 to work, but he has so many draft picks and money under the cap. But along this, these young guys are still playing in meaningful games and making playoffs games. I think there's been a phenomenal job um not sure what's going on in philly and obviously i think jerry colangelo now is changing around i i've never liked that approach we just gonna go tear it all the way down and tank i think you still got to be competitive well especially as a player i mean just being in that situation just brings the absolute, be hard be it brings the worst out of you over time it's like it's just a bad working environment but you can see steve on nba tv's game time check listings on nba.com and i'm sure smitty will let you know if you follow him on twitter at steve 21 smith Mr. Smith, thank you so much for providing us your insight. Uh, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. The very political but genuine Steve Smith of NBA TV. Enjoy the All-Star Game up in Toronto, Steve. And, of course, to the fans, if you want to catch Steve, not just this week, again, a frequent host on NBA TV's Game Time. And his words regarding the Celtics, simple, to the point, but no more accurate assessment of where this team is. And it is almost going back to the point of at the very beginning of this show, because the Celtics are what they are. They are where they are. That is good, but not good enough in the minds of winning starved Celtics fans. The obsession becomes, how can the Celtics get better? This is not good enough. What do they need to do? And the response of, ah, just wait it out for that game-changing talent and hope the players on the team right now get better and let everything come to them instead of being more aggressive about going to get certain things to make the teams better. That is not also appealing to anyone, but every national NBA guy who comes on in here, particularly those down at TNT, be it Brent Barry, Dennis Scott, Steve Smith, listen, they don't have all these positive things to say about the organization all because they want to be nice to me. I mean, good God, talk about someone myself who is absolutely irrelevant to the well-being of the world. They don't need me, but I guess the Celtics are boring, in, but boring in a good way. Yes, they are not good enough to register on the national landscape, comma, yet, and generate enough interest amongst diehard and casual NBA fans besides us here in the Boston area, the New England area, and the team's fans around the globe. But no one has anything bad to say about them. It's all good. It is all, they're all bestowing positive remarks about the team. So one fan can use that. You can let that verify of where this organization really is at. I know 
this team does not hang banners based on what people like Steve Smith think of the team. But guess what? They don't hang banners for 50-win seasons, which some of you so desperately want and would really be willing to do whatever to strip the organization bare to get a few B-plus guys in here and take the Celtics to that threshold, but halt them there. And how happy would you be with that? That would last about 45 seconds before you'd see an endless array of anger directed towards the organization. But guess what? I mean, it, it, it does sound boring. It really does. But let this thing grow organically. I know it's, this is repetitive on my end. But with the Celtics during this rebuilding, or is it even a retooling phase? Whatever it is in terms of getting back to where they want to get to. Let it be organic. There's no need for pesticides, no need for growth hormones or antibiotics or grain-fed diets, 100% grass-fed certified. Or, oh, wait. Uh, sorry about that. Anyways, uh, but Boston is in a situation where they can now let the NBA world come to them. As dull as that may sound for some who use the sporting world to amuse themselves, and I know that is as bland of an analysis as it can get, and that is not what Drive Time Talk radio jocks want or need, but guess what? We aren't Drive Time Talk Radio Honks. This is not a clown show. This is Celtic Speed on Steelness Radio. Trying to make an effort, or at least trying to restore honor and dignity to the airwaves. We were talking about Steve Smith being political. I don't think anything gets a little more political on that, right? That was a George Bush's 2000 catchphrase, I believe. Restoring honor and dignity to the White House. Uh, uh, let's wrap that up with that, right? Ne- till next time. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock and Steph LeGrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. You can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Also, Google Plus, Celtics Beat on CLNS. Love to thank our guests, Patrick Gilboy of ESPN New Hampshire and Steve Smith of NBA TV, as well as our sponsors, Tick IQ and American Farmers Network, for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, program director, Nick Jelso, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.